welcome to Camera Ready and Able, the podcast that explores the intersection of media change and personal growth. I'm your host, Barbara Barna Abel, and my calling is to help you tap into your superpowers to thrive on camera and in life, and to make an impact on the world. This episode is brought to you by the phrase, overcoming challenges in media, your career, and life, because we all face them. I'm thrilled that joining me to discuss is legendary New York broadcast journalist and nine-time Emmy Award winner, Jane Hansen, who co-anchored Today in New York and Jane's New York, and most recently, New York Live, covering everything from 9-11 to Yankees victory parades. Uh, We are seriously overdue for another one of those, and has interviewed presidents, business leaders, prisoners, and celebrities. Jane is also a much sought after speaker and communications coach, and I've been following Jane for ages. And it was a post on women owning their space, literally claiming and taking up more room. I think you called it women spreading. That made me say, I have to talk to Jane Hansen. So I am so thrilled you said yes when I reached out. Welcome, Jane. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. As we're talking before we hit records, like you're from Minnesota. So I'm presuming you didn't come into this business with a whole long you know, list of, of friends and relatives to help you out. So I knew no one. yeah, so you, you had to break in. So I was just really curious about that process and ways that, you know, it's still kind of the same in ways that you've actually seen it change. Well, when I started um, in the television business, which was a long time ago, uh, and I was very, very young, there weren't a lot of women in it. And a lot mm-hmm. lot of television stations the advice then was go to a small station and build yourself up and just keep moving so I started my career in Sioux Falls South Dakota where they felt as a lot of stations did if you had one woman on your news team that's all you needed so I did a ton of shows I did morning news I uh, did evening newscasts I had a, uh, a noon show I did a talk show I shot a lot of my own footage um edited. I produced on the weekends. I did everything. But you know what? It was the best training I could have had because I didn't stay there long. I moved from there to Cedar Rapids, Iowa within, I don't know, a year and a half or so. And then I ended up going to New York from there. And that was an extraordinary lucky break because that usually doesn't happen. How did that happen? Well, um, I was, I had a co-anchor in, in Iowa who had been, had worked in Chicago for a while. And they used to have these, they used to have these talent scouts. They don't really have them anymore, mm-hmm. but they had these people and most of them were in New York and they'd look at a tape and then they'd set you up with the network interviews. And so I had a woman um, from New York and this, my co-anchor knew her and, and I wanted to move. I wanted to move East. I, my ultimate goal was New York city, but I thought I'll never get there now. I was like 23, like, who's going to do that? And there was a position open at CBS, WCBS, and it was for their 11 o'clock news anchor. Now I was so green behind the ears that I was no more experienced to have that job than the man on the moon or a dog catcher. And so uh, I flew in for the interview and they quickly recognized that I wasn't going to quite fit the bill. But I went back home and I told everybody I knew in this small circle of broadcast friends from, they were all over the country in these small little markets. And I said, I am going to New York. And they're going, ah, ha, 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 ha. That's funny. About a month later, I get a call and it's a, I answer the phone and it's a guy named Ron Kershaw and says, hi, it's Ron Kershaw from WNBC in, in New York. And I went, oh yeah, that's funny. And I hung up the phone on him. <laughs> he called back and he said the same thing. And I said, look, I don't know who this is, but I'm not enjoying the joke. And I hung up again. Third time he calls back and he says, 
write my number down. So I wrote his number down and I hung up the phone. I called back the number, which was a 212-664 number, which everybody knows is NBC in New York. And I get WNBC TV, Ron Kershaw's office. And I, I, I nearly fell through the floor and I get, hi, my name is Jane Hansen. And this woman starts to howl with laughter. She goes, we've all been wondering how long it would take you to try calling back. And if you, if you would even do it. And, and so she said, I do, I'm loving every minute of this. Hold on. So I'm convinced that I probably got the job because I kept hanging up on him. So you there. had some kind of New York edge coming from Minnesota and Cedar Rapids, um, which is fantastic. But, the, you know, we are talking about overcoming challenges, which sometimes, you know, we can even have a preconceived notion of what that means or in hindsight. But, okay, right now, at the beginning of your career, you're overcoming a challenge in the sense that you're, you're you know, a plucky gal with a big dream, but you don't have I the experience. It. Yeah, you <laughs> probably blew it by hanging up on the guy, right? But also once you arrive, I mean, I mean I'm presuming, well, you'll finish, complete the story and tell me if it, I'm presuming it worked out with Ron because you ended up at NBC for a long time. Oh, but I'm, what I'm getting at is like, you had to overcome a challenge of like, how do I go from being 23 and pretty inexperienced to being able to make it work in the number one market in the country and the most competitive you know, news environment you can imagine? That was an overcoming a challenge right at the beginning. Oh, it was. And so Ron hired me. And when I walked in the door and telling me how much he loved my work, blah, blah, blah. And I started out as a reporter and mostly I was reporting for the 11 o'clock news at first. And so, but when I walk in the door, he hands me about four business cards and I go, what are these? And he said, well, one's a hairstylist because that hair. <laughs> and then the second thing is a, is a clothing uh, stylist to try to figure out, you know, better attire. Then there was a speech coach. I went, what's with a speech coach? He says, those flat I and G, that flat A on those dropped I and G's drive me crazy because he didn't, he wanted me to, you know, change my Midwestern accent. So I did all of that. And, but uh, at this time thinking, oh boy, but I was really, I think I was, I was so naive in thinking, and I think a lot of young people do this. You think you're idealistic. You think you can conquer the world and nothing's getting in your way. And that's what I believed at that moment in time. I walk in the door, though, and I start to see all these veterans that have been there for some time. Like, do you remember the name Gabe Pressman? Oh, yeah. Gabe Pressman, a legend in television news reporting in New York City. Um, Chuck Scarborough, who had been an anchor there for some time and still is to this day. There were just so many people that were real veterans and had been around for so long. So that's that's when it hit me that, uh-oh, this is the big time and you cannot blow this. So one of the things that I did that I felt was really important was to go to those people, go to those people that had been covering these stories forever, that knew the history behind it. When I'd be assigned something, I would go to Gabe and I'd say, tell me the background. Tell me what you think the really important issues are here. Or if something happened in a neighborhood, what do you know about this neighborhood? And, and he would tell me, and I would get help from, you know, the videographers that had been around forever, from producers. I just sought help anywhere I turned because I knew they looked at me and said, who is this kid and what is she doing here? And I just knew I had to, I, I had to convince them that I was capable, that I could do it. Another one of the best things was that that was at a time when we were really starting to do a whole lot of live things out in the field. 
And I loved being live. That was my thing. I just, I just loved it. Give me a microphone and a camera and let me walk around with it and being broadcasting it as it's going out to the world and I'm in heaven. So because that was becoming a relatively new experience, we didn't even think about that now, but it was, um, I think that really helped me too, because I just, I'd try anything. And, you know, sometimes when you've been doing a job for a very long time, people are not necessarily that willing to do it. So I think that helped. So there were a lot of factors, but I understood how important it was for me to prove myself. And I knew I wasn't going to prove it by being some kind of a little smarty pants or by acting like I'm, you know, that I didn't need help. So that's what I think did it. Well, you obviously, you know, proved yourself, but I also think that when you were asking for help, you must've been very um, respectful in your approach to mm -hmm. actually, you know, to create allies Mm -hmm. out of your coworkers, which is really important. I also yep, want to I, ask, like, what did you say to Ron once you finally, you know, call back? Like what sealed the deal? I, Do you remember? I, said, I, I just said, I thought this was somebody playing a joke on me. I'm, I am so sorry. And he was just, he was laughing so hard because he goes, I just, I can't believe that somebody like you had the guts to hang up on me. He said, I just couldn't believe it. And so we became very fast friends and uh, he was a huge promoter of mine. He really helped me um, and gave me an opportunity to do things that other people, I mean, that he might not have. And I think it's because he saw something in me that had to do with um, really wanting to do a great job. I really was on a mission to tell great stories and to provide wonderful information and to be what you're supposed to be when you are a television reporter, a newscaster, which is a conduit from the story to the people who are watching you, to give them really important information, to help them get through their day, to give them something that might buoy up their spirits or to tell them something that they need to be wary of. All of that, I think he saw my commitment to the story because he was a master storyteller himself. And that I think was 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 what made us um, connect so much. But I also know that I came from a background of my family worked very hard. Um, I was taught a very strong work ethic since the day I was born. And so I think he understood that I was willing to work hard as well and to just really do the thing. When I got into the elevator my very first day, uh, remember Don Pardo, who was the voice of Saturday Night? Oh, of course. Okay. In the elevator is Don. And he looks at me and he goes, hey, kid, you know, and that I can't begin to imitate his voice, but he goes, hey, kid, what are you doing here? I said, I'm starting work as a reporter for WNBC. And he goes, he looks me up and down and he says, hmm, where are you from? And I said, Minnesota. And he goes, oh, and I thought, oh boy. And he, and then he says to me, you know what? You're going to make it. And I said, why? And he said, because people from there, they have tenacity, they have grit, they have perseverance. And I'm betting on you, kid. And then he got off the elevator. Thanks, Don first Pardo. Ride, what a first elevator ride. <laughs> what a wonderful, warm welcome. Uh-huh. I love cool. that. Okay, this has never been an easy business, but do you think it's harder now? Um, I'll tell you what I think it is, is there's so much more competition now. And there's so many other places for people to get their news. I have a daughter who's 32 and my daughter would not begin to watch a, a broadcast newscast. They get their stuff from all kinds of other places and in the internet, et cetera. So it's really hard to grab the audience. 
So you can get news on demand. You can get news anywhere you want it. So therefore, it lessens the need to be this kind of this broadcast journalist with a newscast at six o'clock at night. Uh, so I think it's I think it's harder in a lot of ways. I think um, because the ratings are not what they used to be. They, they just can't be. There's too much competition and people aren't made as much aren't making as much money. So I don't know that people are going into the business like they used to. So from that perspective, yes, I think it's harder. I really mm. do. And what's also interesting is I told you that I shot my own video and, and, and stuff in my very first job. When I got to NBC, I had when I would go to do a story frequently, I would at the very least have a, um, a videographer. I would have a sound person. I would sometimes have a lighting guy. Sometimes I'd have a producer. We'd also, because it's New York City, sometimes we'd have somebody with us that would be um, a courier that would be taking the, the tape back to the studio for editing purposes. So now if you are a reporter, you're frequently going back to what I did then, shooting your own video. Yeah, I was gonna say you were a proto MMJ. And for anyone who doesn't know what that stands for, it's multimedia journalist, which is- mm -hmm the expectation now that that's, that's where everyone begins. I still feel like from my years in casting that local news is something I would always look for on a resume because it, it the skills you gain and oh, the work ethic, totally. the discipline, the adaptability, all of that I think is, a, is essential to anything you wanna go on and do afterwards in television. I'll tell you what's interesting is that when I created my communications business, uh, what I discovered is the ability to take like 16 feet of notes and documents and, you know, oodles of all kinds of information and to be able to squeeze that down and find the important stuff and make a two minute or now a minute and 10 second story out of it. The ability to find the really important things quickly and easily and being right on target for the audience is something I use every day now with my clients because I'm able to get to the bottom of what they're trying to say without all the other stuff that's filling their head. So we get to the core very quickly. And that's, I didn't, I didn't recognize that that was going to be so important in what I do. You know, it's interesting you say that too, because I actually point this out often that, you know, Andy Cohen came from working in local news mm -hmm. and he talks about it in his books all the time, but it is so informed how he, you know, chose to have the you know housewives and different franchises edited because he understood storytelling from all those years in news and creates you know a signature style and and shows that were much more emotionally gripping yeah. than the competition and it and I'm constantly pointing out how applicable these skills are regardless of what you do moving forward oh they are they really are and that and and then of course all the other stuff being able to speak to people tap dancing all the time, having to be, uh, you know, on your toes. Um, I was going to say in your case though, too, building trust, because you're not a New Yorker who was going out into the five boroughs, which, you know, each neighborhood has its own flavor and character. And that's not easy all the time. I mean, you were definitely, I sounds like, you know, confident and a go-getter, but still I meant, you know, we're not Midwesterners here. So th th you had something there, your ability to connect with people. But you got to remember something else that, there's a lot of people who come from someplace else to Absolutely. New York to acquire and to reach their dreams. And so I met so many people along the way that were like me, that came from someplace else. And so, so that all plays hand in hand. And I do think, I mean, I think that some of the best people in the world come to New York.
um, the, the kind of the cream of the crop at times because it, you know that song, if I can make it there, I can make it anywhere. Yeah, really believe that. And I remember when I actually got the job, I put that on, I played it over and over and over and over and over again, dancing to it, going, I'm going to New York, I'm going to New York, I'm going to New York. Wow. I think it's still true. I love that. So then I want to circle back. When did you start to tap into this notion of taking up more room as a woman? Was that, were you doing it then and not aware of it? Were you doing it intentionally then? Or is this something that's a much, you know, more contemporary realization about claiming our space? Because you said, you know, when you started, there was, you were often like the only woman in the local stations. Mm -hmm. I think it's where it started is right away from the beginning. I grew up in a, in a family. I have two brothers, lots of male cousins. I grew up around boys and men all of my life. So I felt like, um, I felt very kind of strong and brave in terms of, of, of that. I think it helped me a lot. I also, and my dad was incredibly inspirational to me and told me I could do anything I wanted to do. And he truly believed in me in, in really remarkable ways. And so I think that gave me some confidence early on that I could stand up for myself in any kind of a situation. And yes, when you're in a newsroom, you're the only woman, you have to be very strong and you have to be able to hold your own. So I think that that has been part of the process. And look, in my reporting years, I would be out there. Sometimes I'd be, um, I'd be the only woman in. Like I, I remember going into some neighborhoods and, and um, particularly like Hasidic Jewish neighborhoods where all the women would have to. I'd be speaking to them. I'd be giving a speech. All the women had to be in the back of the room behind a curtain, and I'd be in the front talking to them. And I was thought this is so odd, but there I was. So I just felt that I had a responsibility as a woman to do the very best I could so that people could understand that we do deserve our place at the table and we deserve it in every bit of an equal rank as possible. This is a really great segue then to some of the things that, you know, you have on um, the wonderful resources on your website. And so Mm -hmm. I was curious, like, you know, what do you consider some of the secrets to how do you communicate well on the job in these situations? For one thing, you have to listen. Listening is crucial. And I don't think we do enough of it. Mm-hmm. How many times have you been in a room where somebody's, you know, you're talking to somebody and and they're listening, but they're looking over your shoulder to see who else is there. And you're like, I'm not important to this person. So I, I focus a lot on body language because mm-hmm. I believe that is so crucial because it gives us a way. And think about this logically. For millions of years, we've walked on earth. Well, we've only had a spoken language for 160,000 years, which meant we communicated totally with our bodies, like fear or flight, um, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, I can delve so deep into this that you're going to be like going, oh, okay, thanks. But the, the bottom line is our bodies say things about us and people make judgments about us innately before we ever open our mouth. And so we we have to own our space. I tell women all the time, when you walk into a conference room, sit down at that conference table and take up the same space that men do. Put your chair up so you're equal heights. Stand up when you're speaking. Stand behind your chair with your hands on it if you want to. Um, Walk around. Don't Don't let somebody steal your idea because that happens all the time. 
a woman will say something and nobody responds. And five minutes later, some, some guy will say the same thing. And the woman's like, well, 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 well I just said that. And they go, yeah, but he said it better. So you've How got- How do you address that? Like what language or, I mean, it's very situational, but literally that's, how do you handle that? I would simply say, I already said that. I would also make sure that when I said it in the first place, that I had very direct eye contact. It's also mm. about the words you you use. For mm. example, for example, picture this in your head. Instead of saying, I believe that we should invest in this stock, you say, I think that maybe investing in XYZ stock could be a really good idea. Why don't we talk about that instead of saying i believe we should invest in this stock for this this and this reason one is very much about you're like oh maybe kind of i think the other one is firm so think about the words you're using i do not like women to use the words i think it should be i believe or here's what we should do or something else uh there are other words that we might use well honestly hmm, what does that mean were you not being honest with me before? Or frankly, oh, you weren't candid. Now I'm getting to the real stuff. There's a lot of words that we use that we don't even think about. All the apology. Right. And how many times have heard you heard women say, sorry, oh, I'm sorry, but I'm like, no sorry is allowed unless you really owe somebody a tremendous apology. Otherwise, don't be sorry for speaking up. Speak up. You have the right to do it. So those are just a few things, but really good eye contact. When you're looking somebody straight in the eye and you're giving up and giving them an idea and they ignore you, they can't do it. They, they, they're too uncomfortable. So Jane, you, I think that is such a superpower now too. I always, and I, I've worked on this myself, but I mean, you can practice going to Starbucks or any place because, you know, most people do not make eye contact anymore. And they, you know, you wave your phone and you have your head down. And I think it must be horrible to be a barista and like actually never make, you know, actually see people. Um, and I can tell you it works with TSA agents to look them in the eye, you know, and actually like be warm and greet. But I mean, and what I'm getting at is we can practice it because it's so uncomfortable. And the younger you are, the more likely it is to terrify you to look somebody in the eye. I think mm-hmm. that's such great advice you just gave because it is, it's disarming and it's so empowering and it's also really connecting. We talk about the word authentic all the time. Mm-hmm. It is authentic. And why why the heck can't you say to look at the TSA agent, which I mean, I fly all the time. And every single time I fly, I say, good morning. How are you? What's going on? Have a great day. And I smile. And I am telling you, it really can open doors. It makes all the difference in the world. So just try that. Eye contact, a simple smile, and being friendly and real. You know, everything you're talking about are just, you know, small, simple actions we can take. And you talk about this a lot because it goes back to what another's that you, another that you often say is just change your attitude. Absolutely. Wait, right. Don't wait for, to react to other people. My, so I have my father's young, youngest sister uh, died about a year and a half ago and she mm-hmm. died at the age of 100. Oh, wow. And God she was bless. the only living aunt and uncle I had. And my parents both came from very large families and he was you know, he was on the real young side of it all. So I went to her and she'd been through a lot in her lifetime. She lost her husband at a young age. She ran the family farm, blah, blah, blah. And so I went to her and I said, what is it that keeps you going? Because she was out every single day of her life and always had a smile and always was gung-ho. And she goes, change your attitude. And I went, 
that's it. That's the secret to a good life. Change your attitude. And she goes, change your attitude. Look at things from another person's perspective. Just because you see something one way doesn't necessarily mean it's the right way or doesn't necessarily mean it couldn't have other parts to it that you might not have considered. So put yourself in other people's shoes and change your attitude. I mean, look, people that are watching or listening this may not have a sense of gratitude for where they are. But I mean, look at us. We just got through this major pandemic. We're getting back into some sort of life. Yeah, there's all kinds of horrible things happening in the world. But for the most part, you know, if you're alive and breathing and don't have some terrible disease, there's reason to have gratitude. Absolutely. And I was going to say, going back to the beginning of our conversation, you spontaneously changed your attitude with Ron Kershaw. You know, you, you, had oh, yeah. a very specific fixed attitude about that phone call or about that, <laughs> that stranger calling you. And then you were able to change your attitude on a dime and changed your life. It, I, I absolutely did. I mean, I wonder where I'd be if I hadn't hung up on them. <laughs> <laughs> Best hang up in the world. So, um, but, and I'm, I'm extraordinarily grateful for, for him and for the life that I had at NBC because I watched history being made before my very eyes every single day of my life, I got to take extraordinary trips. I met some of the greatest leaders in this world. Um, I saw some horrible stuff. I, I, I saw the, 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 the wreckage of, of horrific crimes. Um, I saw the terrible things that people can do to one another, but um, it has been an experience that I will be forever grateful for. Mm -hmm. But I was going to say, Jane, you also listened in that phone call. It goes back to these two things you were saying. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm sure you've had this experience. I know I have. People get really fixed and attached to their ideas and their attitudes. And it's like, this is a prank. And, you know, and he was patient, but you were willing to listen to the, yeah. like, this is what <laughs> I have to say. I dared, I dared to call back, <laughs> <laughs> which, thank heavens because it would have been pretty funny I mean it would have been terrible if I hadn't I think it's such a great story but it also you know going to the listening um a friend of mine who's also a coach Alan Ibbotson pointed out you know especially now people with the habit of not listening they're actually just waiting for their turn to talk mm -hmm. exactly we start to to find an answer before the question has even been asked and and I have to say, women are, are better at this than men because we're more nurturing. We listen a little bit better, but not always. I think listening is, well, it's A, it's the key to a great interview. Because again, you walk in the door with a list of questions you've formed. You've done this a million times. You have you have an idea of what questions you're going to ask, but then the, the guest will say something and you'll, you're completely switching course because now they're going down another lane or they started going down another lane and you're like, oh, that's a heck of a lot more interesting than what I was, where I was going to go. Let's just talk about that. And those are some of the best interviews I've ever done. And in fact, my favorite question is really simple. It's why? Yeah, I want to ask you about the greatest hits. So what is your favorite? My is favorite. it the same one you're most proud of? In terms of your own interviews? Well, the interview that that rings with me every single day is with Desmond Tutu, the apartheid leader from South Africa who died about a year ago. Uh, and I was interviewing him. He was speaking at the UN. This was in the late 80s. 
and uh, I was down in a park and he was just doing some interviews and and so we're sitting there and you know reporters can have a little bit of an edge like man I gotta go I this is I got things to do places to be I gotta get this I gotta boom 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 so his handlers came over and said we need to interrupt you and I said oh come on we're almost done and they go no you really want us to interrupt you and so they they went over and they talked and he came back and he had tears coming out of his eyes and. I said, what's going on? And he'd just been informed that he'd won the Nobel Peace Prize. Oh, you just gave me a chill. I know, isn't that amazing? And it was, what I mean- I get to share that now. moment with him. That's incredible. I know, and, 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 I, and as I tell, retell that story, I get chills myself because it was truly amazing. And of course, the words that came out of his mouth were, this isn't about me. This is about all the people that I've worked alongside. This is all the people we've worked for. It's for all of us. That's what this is. And, you know, I felt like I was, I was in the presence of greatness at that moment. And that was pretty cool. Mm. Do you think about this now, just in terms of your own transitions in your career, is this, because I see a through line is that you're doing always what you were meant to do. I hope that's true. Mm, I sense that very strongly. Like you were there for a reason and now you're doing what you do because to share your gifts really broadly. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I, I really appreciate it. I, I do get, I get a high from helping people become better communicators. And mm -hmm. when I can get them to a place where they can give their message out in a way that truly resonates, when they can, when they feel so good about themselves, they feel like I can do this. I get, I just get a really big charge out of it. And, you know, getting back to that whole woman about taking up their space. There's so many women that have said things to me like, I, I love being the CEO of this company, but when I walk into the boardroom, that's all full of men. I feel like I'm a five-year-old in kindergarten. And when I can help them, get to the place where they feel so confident and strong and 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 have a true a true belief in themselves i just get I, I it makes me feel great because mm. i want everybody to understand their own self-worth and what they can what they can offer to the world and some of us i don't know if we ever get there mm. and I, I i hate to not see people doing that it's, this is a deep question, so I mean, I apologize in advance for asking it sort of like on a grab and go, but I saw your post recently on Instagram about breathing, which is sort of, you know, essential step one. So, you know, do you have just a couple of the quick ones for, you know, to help start people on their way towards becoming self-actualized? So what I would love people to do is if you're, you know, you're unsure about where to go and you want to learn to communicate better and Write a simple list, your pros and your cons. What are your assets? What do you do really well? And this is something that I do with women who go back to the workplace after they've been at home raising kids or something. Because I would hear them apologize. They'd say, oh, well, you know, I've been, I've been, was off the job for 10 years and I've just come back. I'm like, what are you apologizing for? And they go, well, people have really raised their skills ahead of me. And I said, okay, so you stayed in with the kids. Um, did you run the household budget? And they go, yeah. I said, ah, so we had some financial stuff going on. Um, did you work for the, with the PTA? They go, mm-hmm. And I said, ah, so you were a leader and an organizer. And they go, yeah. I said, what about the kid's schedule? 
Yeah. Did you keep everything going in the household? Uh-huh. So when you go through that list of assets and you start to tell them you were still working, <laughs> you were just doing, you were working at home and just weren't getting a paycheck for it. So that that gives them, you know, thoughts in your head that, you know what, I, I was working. I did have value in the workplace, even though I was at home. And that's really okay. important. So write down a list of things that you do really well, whether it's I have the discipline to work out every morning at 5 a.m. or I I eat super well and I know how important a healthy body is or I am really kind to people, or I smile all the time. All this stuff that you don't even think matters because it does. So you put all that stuff on one side and then have an honest con list of things that you hate to do. And put that down there and you'll go, well, lots of people hate doing that. I hate, you know, I hate balancing a budget. I can't stand it. Something you got to do. Okay, so this is one of those things you got to figure out how to do. So kind of make a list of, of assets, but be really honest about what you do well, because you're going to look at it and say, hmm, I'm pretty cool. Then when I talked about this breathing thing, it's you breathe in for three counts, hold it for three, breathe out for three, do it three times. That's all about anxiety or nerves or quelling mm -hmm. butterflies in your stomach. But developing really good breathing helps us lower our voice. We breathe deeper into our diaphragm. Studies show that lower voices are more credible. It also helps you slow down because we can all talk way too fast. And when we talk too fast, it's like cramming, trying to cram 10 pounds of crap into a five pound bag. So edit, 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 edit. Tape yourself. We've all got this thing now with doing Zooms that we're looking at ourselves going, oh, I hate my mouth. Look at that hair, that teeth. Ah! So practice using your phone. Nobody else ever has to see it. And you know, before you make a presentation, before you're before you're going in to give a message to the boss, before you're um, speaking to whatever you know, whatever you're doing, practice it with your phone and watch it and watch it. Not too self-critically because we're too mean to ourselves. Yeah, be kind. Yeah, but watch it with a critical eye that says. I should change up my language there. That wasn't really clear. Or I loved how I used my facial expressions there. I've got to remember to do that again. And nobody else ever has to see that video. You know, delete it the moment you're done. But be be your own best advocate because it really truly helps. Mm, so great. You're so generous, Jane. This <laughs> has been fantastic. So, so, so my friend Fran Hauser wrote this book called The Myth of the Nice Girl. And it's all about that being nice is your superpower. And um, and Fran had a really big job in publishing. In, and uh, and I actually helped. She's, she quoted me in the book. Mm -hmm. But one of the things is being kind to one another because we don't do enough of it in this world. And we there's enough, there's enough junk happening out there that we just have to be kind. And being kind is something so simple as responding to a post on social media and saying, congratulations, or I'm so sorry to hear that. Do you want to talk or whatever it can be, or just a note to a friend or picking up the phone or whatever it is, it, it, there's nothing, it takes nothing from you to be kind and it gives so much back. I had the experience recently of somebody 
reminding me of something I did for them 20 plus years ago, somebody who worked at WNBC with me. And when she told me I'd done this, I hadn't even remembered it. It didn't even occur to me, but she told me that she will never forget the kindness I showed her that day. And so this is, you know, that whole thing, random acts of kindness. Like I didn't need to be, you know, appreciated. I didn't need to be told anything, but the fact that that resonated so with her and made such a difference in her life in that moment. I mean, it's, it's like the coolest thing ever, isn't it? When that happens. So just be kind. That's it. Well, thanks for being so kind on the podcast and sharing so much of yourself. This is, you know, because this is what I love is so much information and actionable steps. So really a gift. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. It was an absolute pleasure. And thank you for listening to Camera Ready and Able. If you want to get into momentum and turn your dream into your reality, shoot me a note via my website, ableintermedia.com, and be sure to download my free ebook, 12 Tips for Success on Camera. And as always, please hit the subscribe button if you haven't already.